Thank you guys. Open your Bibles this morning to Psalm 78. We are going to break from our study of Ephesians for this week as we focus today on reaching the next generation. Psalm 78 is a psalm really that is about that, and it's focused on getting God's Word to the next generation. Psalm 78, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. Psalm 78 is a psalm of Asaph, who was one of the worship assistants to King David. It's a long psalm. It's 72 verses long. We're just going to look at the first seven. In many ways, it's a sad psalm because it's telling the story of Israel's repeated disobedience to God through the years. But it's a hopeful psalm in that we see God's repeated mercies to Israel through the years. And it's hopeful in that in these opening verses of the psalm, we see this vision for reaching the next generation with God's Word. So let's look at it together. Take your copy of God's Word and let's look at verses 1 through 7 of Psalm 78. The Bible says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel at which He commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. Father, we pray that You would take Your Word today and help us to understand it, and more than that, help us to apply it. Father, may we not only be hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word. And Father, we pray that You would show us how Your heart is for us to pass on the good news and hope and the gospel to the next generation. And Father, would you speak to those here today that just need a word of hope that they can cling to. And so, Father, this hour is yours. We pray that you would help us to be locked in on you right now. May we not be distracted by anything. We need you. We need you to meet you in the power of your spirit right now. And so we ask you to speak. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This week I've been reading devotionally in the book of 1 Samuel. And at the beginning of 1 Samuel, there's a story that really is a chilling story for every parent. Eli was a priest of God who was serving God at Shiloh. And he was assisted in his priestly duties by his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And these two sons, let me tell you, they were a pair. Because they routinely abused the offerings and the sacrifices that worshipers brought. Uh, they sexually preyed on women who came to worship. I mean, these two were what my dad would refer to as just 
trifling, okay? And uh, Eli, their dad, he was a good man, but he was a bad parent because he refused to do anything about it. I mean, he would whine at them about their behavior and sometimes admonish them for their behavior, but he would not discipline. He would not take action. And so finally, God did take action. God took action by taking them out. He took out Hophni and Phinehas, put them to death. Well, that story is just one of many in God's Word that teach us that it is parents who have the primary responsibility to be the disciplers of their children. Later on in Ephesians, we're going to get to chapter 6, where we, we see that it's parents who are to raise up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In the Shema, the prayer that people would pray in the Old Testament, uh, every day they would pray, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your, all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In both the Old Testament and the New, discipleship is to take place, first of all, within the context of the family. But the local church, as the family of God, has a vital role to play in coming alongside godly moms and dads and being a help to them and accentuating what they're trying to do in the home. And, as Michael shared We've got so many people today in our culture that are not coming from Christian homes. Moms and dads that are not believers. And in that case, the local church has a responsibility to come alongside and to be a family to them. And to pass on the gospel to the next generation. Psalm 78 tells us about that. And it tells us about getting God's word to the next generation. I want us to see three things from this psalm. First of all, the recovery of God's word. In verse 2, Asaph says, I will utter dark sayings from of old. He's talking about words that had been obscured for a long time. The word of God. Once there was a young man named Martin Luther who was a monk who was trying everything that he could to live righteously, but yet Luther knew in his heart that no matter how hard he tried, that he was unrighteous, and he also knew that God was righteous and holy. And so Luther had a dilemma. How in the world am I going to bridge this chasm between my unrighteousness and God's righteousness? And one day he was reading in the book of Romans and Luther saw that although he could never bridge that chasm, that God had done something to bridge that chasm. That God had given his son and that through faith in Christ that he could be made right with a righteous God. Well, when that happened, was Luther really discovering anything new? No. 
It was just the gospel that had been right there in the scriptures all along. But it had been obscured uh, by layers and layers of tradition. He was rediscovering something that was very old, God's word. Dr. Alvin Reed, who we talked about earlier, has done extensive study into the history of revivals. And one of the common denominators that Dr. Reed has seen as he studied revivals, real awakenings, is that, number one, God, there's a recovery of God's word, a re-emphasis on the scriptures. And another common denominator is that it often, uh, one of the catalysts for it, is that God begins to work in the hearts of young people. Now look around, and I believe we see really the beginnings of that. I look at what's happening on college campuses today among Christian students. There's a zeal for missions, a zeal for uh, the Word of God, what's happening in our seminaries, and what's happening in, in, in student ministries in many local churches as, as high school students, junior high school students. They are looking for, they're living in a culture of sinking sand, and they are looking for a rock that they can stand on. And they're not saying, hey, I want Christian light. They're saying, we want the Word of God. We want to dive deep into the Word of God. Give us something uh, that we can stand on in the culture that we're living in. There's a recovery of God's Word. Second. We see something here about the revealing of God's Word. Because once God's Word is recovered, God's Word is to be shared. And so verse 4 tells us, We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. You know, someone once said, that a local church is always one generation away from extinction. You know, that's really true. If the gospel is not successfully transferred from generation to generation, what happens to a local church is that it shrinks and shrinks till it's a small group of senior adults, and then eventually it closes its doors. That is happening all across our nation and in Western Europe as What used to be churches are becoming community centers or increasingly in Western Europe becoming mosques because those churches did not do what was necessary to reach the next generation for Christ. At the 2008 Olympics in Beijing, the U.S. men's 4 by 100 meter relay team was predicted to win the gold medal, hands down. But they never even got a chance to compete for the gold medal. Because in the qualifying heat, when they were seeking to pass the baton from one runner to the next, that baton was dropped. This is a photo of U.S. runners Darvis Patton and Tyson Gay. And you can see that baton literally falling in midair, falling to the ground. You know, in fairness to those runners, passing that baton is not easy. They're running at full speed, and passing that baton successfully, it requires a lot of hard work. It requires a lot of, a lot of practice. It's not automatic. And passing on 
the gospel. Passing on God's word to the next generation is not automatic either. It requires a lot of hard work on the part of a local church. It requires an intentional investment on the part of the local church. It means that the local church is going to have to do what it takes to reach the next generation. It means investing in staffing that is needed. It means that the local church has got to invest in its facilities to reach the next generation. It means that the people of the church have got to have a heart and step up to the plate and be willing to serve. Whether it's holding babies in a nursery or serving in a ministry to elementary age children or serving in ministry to junior high and senior high students or coming alongside moms and dads and equipping parents. But it takes intentionality. It takes investment on the part of the local church to successfully pass it on to the next generation that God's word would be revealed. But we see the recovery of God's word and the revealing of God's word. And thirdly, we see the result of what happens when God's word is passed on. Verses 6 and 7. That the next generation might know them the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Now, in these two verses, there's a mingling of two things, mind and heart. First of all, the mind, that the next generation might know them. There is knowledge that has to be imparted. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of the Word of God. And that means serious Bible teaching. The next generation has to know the Word of God. Know it. But the ultimate goal is not just to stuff their heads full of more Bible knowledge, because knowledge in and of itself, Paul says, just puffs up. The goal is for both their mind and their heart to be touched with the Word of God. They've got to know the Word of God, which is essential, but then that knowledge of God's Word needs to be coupled by the Holy Spirit doing something in their heart. Kindling the affections of their heart with love for Christ. And that's what verse 7 is all about. So that they should what? Set their hope in God. Not in money. Not in fame. Not in all of the things of this world. But in God. We want to raise up a generation whose hope is in God. And who are living for something more than mirrors who are living for something higher than themselves. This Wednesday marks the 25th anniversary of the massacre in Tiananmen Square in Beijing, China. And many of you remember those days as thousands and thousands of Chinese people, mainly young people, mainly students, gathered in Tiananmen Square for the cause of freedom. In 1989. And 
those days, we remember them by one iconic photograph. It was this young man, this student, standing by himself in front of a column of tanks. What was he thinking? Clearly, he was thinking of something beyond his own physical safety. Clearly, he was thinking of something higher than his own self-preservation. And of course, the tanks were not stopped. They rolled into the square that day. Many, many people were massacred that day. But there was a movement that was launched that could not be stopped. And what many people don't know is that most of the student leaders of the rallies in Tiananmen Square would go on to give their life to Jesus Christ and become leaders in the movement of the gospel, to become leaders in a movement in which there is found something even higher than political freedom, spiritual freedom, to the point that 25 years down the road, there are more Christians in China than members of the Communist Party in China. Blood was going to run in Tiananmen Square that day 25 years ago. But there was a generation of students that were going to be caught up in love for one whose blood ran for them on a cross and who was raised from the dead and who were going to go on to impact a nation for Christ. May we raise up that kind of a generation at First Baptist. Let's pray. Father, we pray for our students. We pray for high school students, junior high students. Father, we pray for um, for children, elementary age, preschool children. Um, Father, we pray for their families. And Father, we, we pray that you would work in their hearts, Lord, that, that our church would do what it takes to invest in the next generation, that they should set their hope in God. As we just continue to pray, Maybe you're here today and you came into this room in search of hope. Jesus has provided the answer. He died on a cross for you. His blood ran for you. He substituted himself, took your place, took my place on the cross. That our sins can be forgiven, that life can begin anew that we might have eternal life. He rose from the dead. He has conquered death. Would you turn to Him and trust Him today? Take your hands off of the controls of your own life and repent. Say, Lord, I'm tired of trying to live life my way apart from You. I turn to You and I trust in the work of Christ for me. I believe He died for my sins, that He rose from the dead. And I desire to follow Jesus as my Lord and my King. Would you make that decision today? 
in just a moment, we're going to have a song of invitation. And if you're deciding to follow Christ, we want to invite you to step out from where you are. Others will gladly make way for you and to come. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about being a part of our church family, we want to invite you to come as well. So, Father, we pray that you would work in hearts and lives right now for the sake of your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.